Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hello, and welcome to our episode on A to Z, anxiety and Gen Z. Today, we're drinking the 2014 Oregon Pinot Noir A to Z um, by A to Z Wineworks. Yeah. Uh, so we're very excited that because this is our first Pinot that we have opened up um, on our episode. Yeah. No Epis- kidding. I mean, on our show. <laughs> on our show. Yeah. And I love Pinot. I'm surprised it took us this long. I know. It's really surprising when we were doing like our notes and I was like, what? The- yeah. How is this our first I mean, Pinot? I know we're only like 23 episodes in. However, I love Pinot. <laughs> So it's about time that we got to it. Basically. Exactly. So I'm gonna crack this open. Okay. And and what better pour. way to start with a good Pinot Noir than with Oregon? That's true. That was the crack. <gasps> There's a spider. <laughs> oh my god, he's under my computer. Wait. Apologies, we experienced technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, I promise, no spiders have been killed. In the recording of this episode, yet. Uh, welcome back <laughs> to our episode. We oh decided that you guys can get the full experience. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had a little friend come visit us. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to pour a need the big wine. glass of wine for each of us. Okay. Ooh, it's like a garnet color. Yeah. I feel like I'm... Oh, oh, sh- <laughs> I just spilled. It's fine. I, I think that's the least of our issues. As <laughs> I of, know. As of episode 23 is concerned. We're good. We're, we're good. good. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, people. We're in business. We're not even at cheers yet. Oh, sure. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm liking it. Ooh, that's like bright cherries. Yeah. That's like, I mean, typical Oregon Pinot. Ooh, it's I neat. like it. It's very light. It's like very... And Pinot Noir is a lighter red yeah. anyway. And um, we cooled this a little bit or chilled it a little bit. It should have like a slight chill on it. Maybe like a, I don't know, 60 degrees, I yeah, would say. Yeah, 60 to 65. Yeah, probably. is where you kind of want it um, for Pinot Noir. Uh, yeah, so let's kind of get into this wine. <laughs> um Jamie, would you like to tell us a little bit about the wine company? And then we can yeah. kind of talk about Pinot. So A to Z Wine Works makes not just Pinot. They make a, a good amount of wine in Oregon. They're one of the largest um, Pinot makers in Oregon that yeah. actually produces um, some pretty good pretty good Some stuff. pretty good wines. They have, they have many accolades that they've gotten um, already. Um, so A to Z Wine Works <clears throat> was created... In 2002, by four friends, and on their website it says two couples, so I'm assuming that they're actually two couples. And amongst the four of them, they have like a wealth of like wine knowledge. Uh, each of them having worked at or for a different wine making entity. Oh, cool! Uh, yeah, really, really cool. Um, and so, 
in 2006, I think they started working together and started making wines at, out of their one of their homes. Um, and then in 2006, they decided to partner with a, a very well-renowned, I guess, winemaker in the area. And then okay. also got backing from the San Antonio, San Antonio Spurs coach um, in order to purchase Rex Hill Vineyards. Okay. And I mean, I haven't really heard of Rex Hill, but that could be because I, you know, just was not really aware of wines in the Oregon area yeah. to begin with. Um, but so I guess the Rex Hill Vineyards has actually been around since 1982. So you can imagine they already have over 20 years of experience themselves and, you know, they're not brand new vineyards or vines. And so, you know, I think that they have pretty well established fruit and they know exactly what to expect from the fruit on the vines. So cool thing about A to Z wine works, um, on their website, which, uh, it's a very interesting website. I admit I did not watch the video about their team, but um, they have noted that their brand proposition, so I'm assuming this is like a mission or vision statement, uh-huh. um, is to create the highest quality wine for the greatest sustainable value. So, yeah, this this wasn't bad. I think it was like $17. Yeah, I think that it's listed around 20 but I saw it even listed for like $15 or something yeah. like that on wine.com or something. So definitely not going to break the bank. Especially in comparison to other Oregon Pinots, because oh, totally. they're they are on the higher side. Mm-hmm. When you look at like California Pinot and oh yeah things like that, I mean it is kind of priced like Burgundy in some in some areas. So so priced like Burgundy is actually appropriate because Pinot Noir is from Burgundy. There you so go. It's perfect. So they also noted uh, that their intention is to build a business that combines commerce with conscience. Oh, and so I think that that sort of speaks to, at least in my mind, that they are very conscientious. Uh, they have a whole slew of things on their website. I see you're on there right now. Yes, I am. And they actually talk a lot about, you know, they pay 100% of their employees over the minimum wage. They cover health benefits for 100% of their even part-time employees, which is not something that is typically done. Right. And so, you know, it speaks to the, it speaks volumes, I think, about who they are as a company and how they pride themselves on Hiring good people, taking care of those people, and also producing excellent quality wines. So I thought, I just think that it's very cool. Love that these are two couples that have this passion for wine and, you know, obviously were part of the industry beforehand and they loved it so much that they were like, you know what, let's go, let's do this thing together. So, so, and they talk about environmental responsibility and sustainability, Mm -hmm. right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're actually committed to leaving the place better than we found it through healthy ecosystems. Which is really cool because, I mean, that's the best of both worlds. You get um, uh, affordable wine and you're still, you know, supporting the environment and the small, you know, the sustainable practices and things like that. So I think that that's wonderful. And I mean, that speaks to one of our earlier episodes where we talked about Mm -hmm. sustainability. I think that we will continue to see that in episodes moving forward. And I, th- I really love the fact that, honestly, prior to our doing this podcast, I never really thought about it much. Yeah. And I didn't really see much advertised about it. And perhaps this is just, you know, what society is asking for nowadays. But I love when I see these vineyards and winemakers actually putting this information out there for consumers to see and to read and, you know, sort of take in, because I, I do think that that is going to eventually, it will well, definitely impact 
consumers' decisions from what exactly. wines to buy. And then consu- consumers will drive practices. Mm-hmm. So exactly. if they demand it, then these are the things that will be given. Yeah. Um, one of the things they like that they say is, we try to do no harm and benefit all with our wine, our practices, and our profits. Mm-hmm. So they, they really want to keep um, the environment healthy and, and not have an impact on it through their winemaking process, a negative impact on it. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. I like that. They do make other wines, too. They make a ton, it looks like. Yeah, um, they have which a... Oregon's known for Pinot Noir, but they have Chardonnay, Rosé, Riesling, Pinot, Pinot Gris, Gris um, and they've got Bubbles. So, well, yeah, Pinot Noir like is they have a, a, a Rosé Bubbly. And Pinot Noir is a common grape to make sparkling wines, yep. whether it's colored or not. I remember when I went to Napa having being completely shocked when I had sparkling that had no hint of rosé at all. And yet it was made from Pinot Noir grapes. Isn't that crazy? And they also, I will also say, they have a nice little uh, wine and food pairing blog on their website as well. They do? I did yes. not. I didn't and see that. You, they have all different types of recipes and things like that. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I'm sad I didn't try one of those for tonight. Um, Don't hate me because so. I didn't make you good food. <laughs> oh my gosh, your food's amazing. Stop it now. Um, anyways, so some food that they recommend with the Pinot is yes. uh, some all manners of pork, um, duck, any grilled meats, venison, mm-hmm. chicken. Seafood. They're basically saying like everything. Really. Everything. That yeah. sounds like everything. Uh, this is. I do like this. This is funny. Learn to like duck. Duck is fantastic. Pinot Noir. Make a cherry gastrique and add it to the duck. You will be become the food and wine hero of the universe. Um, sign me up for that. I want that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. We just made duck the other day. I'm all What's about cherry? it. Cherry. What is it? Cherry. What? A cherry gastrique. So like probably like a reduced cherry. Oh, a reduction. A reduction. Oh, we're going to get so fancy. So fancy. So fancy. Okay. Anyways, they're saying it's versatile. It pairs with the most protein, a uh, variety of styles, earthy. You can have rustic vegetables. And I mean, really? I'm I, in I drinking don't know. this. I feel like it is very light. It's not, it doesn't, it has a slight lingering finish, which surprises me considering how light it is. But at the same time, I feel like it's. I'm already repouring. Oh, you're fine. Um, um, I, but that's typical of a, of a Oregon Pinot is that it's yeah. going to be lighter than your California Pinots. And I will say that I think initially I struggled with Pinot Noir. Because it was lighter. Because it was lighter. And I'd say that now into this weird wild foray of wines. Um, I, I think that I appreciate this a little bit more than I used to. I agree. To. I think the more wine I've drank, the more I have become to love Pinot Noir. And each, I think that each wine, each varietal has its own setting that makes it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, ideal for. So, yeah, I really like this. And actually, uh, so this is a 13.5% ABV, 13.5% ABV. It is the 2014, as you mentioned before. So this is, this Puppy's been aged a little bit, and even on um, the winemaker notes, they did say that it is built for midterm aging. Okay. Um, the wine has great integrity and should drink well on release and for the next three to five years. So, oh, we're I mean, perfect, we're then. like right in that sweet spot. Yeah. And I think that that sort of, you know, I'd say that they know their wine. <laughs> that sounds so childish to say. They know their wine. Obviously, they know their wine. Uh, by the way, there is a recipe for the grilled duck breast with arugula and cherry gastrique on the website. So I feel like Future. we might have to do Future. a... Yeah. 
Well, and the a good thing is that this A to Z, it's sold in a lot of places. Yeah. I know I've seen it at like local groceries, like grocery stores and wine shops. Oh, yeah. And so, like we said, it's not a commercialized type of wine. So that's nice. So a little bit about Pinot, a little bit about Oregon. I love I know you it. do. I went there. I went to, we've talked about this. I went to Wilmette Valley. I loved it. Um, okay. Willamette. Damn it, Willamette. I can never say it right. Damn it, Willamette. I think you were mostly right. I wasn't going to call you on it. Yeah, but you should have. (laughs) It sounded close enough. You you need to call me out on it. Willamette, damn it. Damn it, Willamette. 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 Uh, (laughs) Damn it, Willamette, damn it. Okay. So part of the reason that the Pinots are a little bit lighter than California is because of the cooler climates of Oregon. Okay. Uh, So they are, they resemble most like burgundy style type Like temperature, climate-wise? Okay. Everything. Okay. Everything. I'm not even going to get into the latitude thing because like... Oh, well... well, I feel like that needs to be another podcast and I'm very fascinated by that. Um, (laughs) Takes a lot more geography research though. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But it is, Pinot is one of the most delicate and temper... Temp... Or mental grapes. Uh, so the climate, the the terroir, um, just like everything has to come into play to make things perfect. It's, well, we talked about this with yes. the sideways. It is a finicky mm-hmm. grape. Yep. So it's not just that. It's the vineyard architecture. What does, what does that mean? Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about how Oregon got Pinot Noir. Okay. So they had specific clones. The most early wines use clones locally known as Pomard and God, I I am just going to slaughter this because there's like Vadensville. I don't even know. Uh, anyways, it's um, widely, oh. it was widely planted in California and everywhere else. Pomard usually produces the dark fruit flavors and the Vadensville is lighter in flavor and texture, but can be a little more tannic. So... Huh. They made wine with this all over for, for, for a long time. Um, but because Oregon has a cooler, rainier growing season and these clones can be less ripe, oh. they were trying to perfect their Pinot. So they actually talked to Burgundy. So in 1984, there is a man by the name of David, David Eidelsheim, and he has his own winery in... In Oregon? In Oregon. Edelsheim Wines. They're very... Oh. Yes. Okay. You've seen this. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was part of Oregon State University. They got a number of Pinot Noir clones from the scientist in France, uh, Raymond Bernard, who um, was trying to, I guess, advertise, I don't know, specific Pinot Noir and Chardonnay clones. So these clones ripened earlier and produced a little bit of a... Di- bigger palette of flavors so they probably would be more compatible with Oregon's growing season okay so for a long time Oregon had monopoly on these clones but then I guess now they're widely planted everywhere but today the vineyards in Oregon are primarily a mix of Pomard the Vadensville and these Dijon clones Okay, I feel like I've heard of the Dijon clones. Yes, a lot of times they have them on the back of wine bottles, I guess. Okay. But they wanted to to still perfect their Pinot growing power. Okay. So they had to actually study the vineyard architecture. Does this mean like direction and slope? How they're spaced. Yes. So before they were widely spaced, they had about 450 vines per acre. And then in the 80s, they re 
shape their vineyards to look more like burgundies. So they narrowed the distance between rows. Um, they doubled, tripled, or quadrupled the number of vines per acre. Holy cow. Yes. Uh, based, the idea was that each vine could put all its energy into fewer, more flavorful bu- bunches. Um, they also trained the shoots to grow vertically and around um. the grape bunches so that there would be more exposure to the sun. Okay. I've heard um, I've heard about vine training. And there's a lot of different there's a lot of different shapes that you can make depending on what the varietal is mm-hmm. and I know that depending on what the cluster shape is too, I'm sure that that, you know, impacts yeah, what they cho- what they chose. They also had another so there's all these different things that they're looking for to make the perfect Pinot, right? Okay. The perfect there was one more thing. What they they, missing? they have they have like a formula that basically predicts um, how much each vineyard can yield. So they are basically estimating their crops. Okay. How much can they grow? Um, and this formula allowed the winemakers to know how much crop that they could put in for the quality they wanted. So they were guessing wrong. Sometimes they had too many grapes that wouldn't ripen as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, you know, didn't plant enough and then they wouldn't get as much as they needed. Yeah. So all of this and then it's all the science that they've done, all this work that they've done. And then also, of course, the terroir and the climate. Sure. It makes it perfect. So that is a little background on Oregon Pinot. Now, I will also say... That one of the other things I love about it, well, there's two, there's like a couple other things, <laughs> um, is that 47% of the vineyards in uh, Willamette, damn it, Valley, <laughs> 47% are certified sustainable vineyards. So that's oh, really? way more than California or Washington or anywhere else in the country. Really? Yes. So they actually um, really go the distance in terms of becoming sustainable and trying to actually, you know, they're leading the nation in, the, in this in that whole movement. That's pretty. Which is nice. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, so they have the most like small wineries that make the most small production quality wines, and that's why their wines are a little more expensive. Okay, the other thing is, is that while the United States mandates a minimum of 75%, um, so I think we've talked about this before, so like if I label something as Cabernet, for example, Mm -hmm. the wine has to have at least 75% Cab, it could have 25% other things, Yeah. Uh, however, I don't have to list that on my label. You don't have to say it, yeah, you just I can if I want, but I don't. Well, Oregon's like, I'm I'm ignoring that law and we're going to make it stricter. Oh so God. their their rule is ninety percent. Ninety? Wow, really? Yes. So ninety percent. So if they call something Pinot Noir, it has to be ninety percent. It can be more, but it cannot be less because if right. it's less, then it comes but out as a red blend. Now this only is applicable to their leading grapes. So that's Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, oh. and Pinot Gris. Sure, like their Cabs, their Sauvignon Blancs, and like other smaller things that they make that they're not known for don't actually have that law. So it's just those three. Probably because they don't have a ton of crop for that anyway. But at yeah. this, I mean, at the same time, I'm like, why would you have different standards? Like, I feel like it almost should just be like across the board. Like, Oregon, stick to your guns. 90% for everything. There you go. I would support that. I just want you to know that I just looked over at uh, our Kieran McNeil favorite book. Yeah. And it actually says in here 
that Willamette rhymes with damn it, as locals are fond of saying. <laughs> I thought we just made that up. <laughs> I think a little of what's that Rocky Horror Picture Show? Damn it, Janet! Oh There's God, a whole song so about it. Damn it, Willamette. Um, yeah. So the other thing that's super interesting, though, Sarah. So you said that in order to list it as, ni- as Pinot Noir, it has to be ninety percent. And I'm wondering if that also applies to like where, like what um, agricultural? Oh, the AVAs. The AVAs. Yeah. So I don't really know exactly, but they really are into their AVA as well with they're very specific about Willamette Valley when you can list certain things on the label exactly and I feel like you recently told me that there was there is a specific winemaker that maybe makes some things like an esteemed winemaker I don't know that Pinot famous Pinot Noir that starts with an M <laughs> maybe <laughs> used to remember he sold that ah uh, okay used to make that famous Pinot Noir that starts yes. with an M but he makes another uh, one that was labeled Oregon, and now there's some. There's so a few there's questions. there's a little bit of scrutiny of his labeling techniques on his uh, on his wine, bottle bottles of wine, and whether or not he was allowed to actually say that the wine came from Oregon. So I think this has led to an entire like everybody's kind of really analyzing this and if the the rules are strict enough. Yeah, I think that there was an interesting article and I we're not going to go into literally all the details right now, but um I, it's an interesting article to say that you know, what was listed, they I guess they don't believe that it is even possible. Um like yeah. to mention that it was exactly. from these and to three different valleys or something because the, he was Maybe because saying it was coastal and there's nothing in Willamette Valley that's actually coastal. It might be influenced by coastal climates, but they're not actually on the coast. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, anyway, so yeah, yeah. interesting reads. I Look know. it up. Look it uh, up. About your Dijon clone. Yeah. That's actually named after a uh, city in Burgundy. Um, and so that's the that's the last one that we were talking about of all the clones that was brought in. So I guess it was brought in in the 2000s. Should you pair the Dijon clone with Dijon mustard? That's what I want to know. Anyway. I mean, um, sure, you could try it. So, you, I mean, you've talked a lot about the French thing. So Pinot Noir is from France. Pinot Noir is actually from, like, a couple, like, French words that actually Pinot for for. Um, pine uh-huh. and also noir. It's a it's a dark skinned grape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know when you it seems to make a lot of sense uh, the way how it's been titled, and I think it's easy to remember. Yes. Um, but a couple other things that you had mentioned before, you know, France is really what obviously put it on the map because that's where it originated. But Pinot is grown. I mean, in tens of Okay, 20, whatever, a bunch of countries. And so it's not just sort of these like um, lighter climates. I feel like Australia. Yeah, California. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all make it too. And so, I, but I think you are going to see some variation there. It's going to be a little heavier. And I, I think so. Yeah. And so um, the other thing is that this particular grape I mentioned before, the cluster, these are tightly packed. And so I, it, it does say that this is more susceptible to viticultural hazards, you know, rotting, especially mm-hmm. because the grapes, like when they get wet or, you know, when they grow, it's, they're just growing into one another. There's no aeration, if you will. Yep, exactly. Um, and so there are a lot of additional steps that these um, winemakers need to go through in order to make sure that they'll have a good, a good crop. Um, so 
we'll, uh, just a couple other things about Pinot is that um, it's thin-skinned, which is another part of the reason why it's so challenging to grow because you do have to have something that's not going to get too, too cold or too, mm-hmm. too hot um, because it doesn't have that thick skin to support or to block out any of these hazards. Um, but it has, um, it's, they're lightly, it's lightly colored wine, as we said before, very, very thin. Um, it's medium, low to medium bodied and typically low tannins, which I'd say is really pretty. Yeah. I think typically you get a lot of cherry and berry flavors. Cherry, strawberry, things like that. And when you say light, I don't, but I think it's still a robust wine. I think there's still a lot to it, at least for me. Um, I think you taste the earth a little more. With, I you know, agree. I totally agree with that. Even with, when you think about like French Burgundy, you definitely taste the earth more than you would with others. I don't know. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I, I just really like them. So I, what's your favorite quote? Cause the, I have one that is really related to our last episode. Do you have a different? Okay. What's yours? Because then I'll okay. choose my quote. Great Oregon Pinot Noir is about the complete power of gracefulness. When I'm drinking a Pinot Noir, I want it to taste like Grace Kelly just walked into the room. And that's the winemaker oh my God. from Ar- Argyle Winery. Argyle? Yeah. Yes, I've had that. Yes. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to quote. Um, it's a very quick quote. It's from Master Sommelier Madeline Trif- Trifon. Trifon? Trifon. She yeah. was the first... Master Psalm, female, right? Yes, my mom knows her yes. quite well. Yeah, in the Detroit area. Uh-huh. So she calls Pinot Noir sex in a glass. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told like, you it was short and sweet. Yep. Short and sweet. That's really good. So, um, all right. So Pinot, pretty amazing. Pretty wonderful. I'm loving it. I, again, my first time really drinking Pinot Noir was with you, Sarah, back in uh, 2015 when we met. And then after that, I haven't looked back. Dude, um, I have some really good Pinot at home. I still have some of those that we got uh-huh. at our full Pinot tasting. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I do kind of have a love affair lately with <laughs> Oregon Pinot Noir. I'm pretty sure we heard that in a few episodes ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> You can repeat it. Okay. It's totally appropriate. <laughs> I have, like, I just get into these, like, I get into these moods, right? So, like, I, like, ha- like I have a Zen affair. I I was just going to say, yes. you are, like, Zen or Pino? Zen or Pino. But then, like, sometimes I'm, like, all about Cote d'Aron. That's all I want yeah. is Cote d'Aron. Like, it's just weird. Yeah. Just get into these. All right. Anyways, all right. It's okay to be crazy. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Should we talk about our topic? Oh my God, yes. Because Ugh. I was reading about this and like kind of freaking out in my head Girl. and now we just got to like, we got to talk about it. I don't, I don't even know. Okay. All right. You start. Okay. Uh, so recently <laughs> I was driving to work and on the radio they were talking about, not that I like ever actually listened to talk radio. Like I was literally mind, usually I'm listening to a podcast. I was like, usually it's hours. So but it was such a, I'm, a rare occasion anyway. I'm mindlessly driving to work, ignoring whatever they're saying on the radio until they sell, they start talking. And like, I'm barely awake, mind you. They start talking mm-hmm. about um, how these high school students and middle, middle school students uh, were protesting um, giving oh. presentations. Sorry. God, is there another spider? No, but I just touched a napkin that the dead spider's in. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, oh, okay, but he's, like, scrunched the up. Spider the spider died, guys. Sorry. We cut that. Uh, R.I.P. 
All right, peace, Peter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, right. uh, driving to work, and yeah, they're talking about how these students are protesting giving presentations in school, as in the requirement of, because they have anxiety. They don't want it to be a requirement. That there should be other options. Okay. Uh, before my outrage, like, really hits hits the... Escalates. Hit, yeah. Uh, let's kind of get into this a little bit and okay. really talk about where this came from, Here, where it stemmed yeah. from, and what their argument is. Here are a couple bullet points that I grabbed. Okay. Um, some students say having to speak in front of the class is an unreasonable burden for those with anxiety and are demanding alternative options. Um, students supporting abolishing in-class presentations argue that forcing students with anxiety to present in front of their peers is not only unfair because they are bound to underperform and receive a lower grade, but it can also cause long-term stress and harm. Oh, okay. We're, are we talking PTSD? <laughs> I don't mean, I'm not trying to make light of PTSD. My point is that that statement is implying that it is as significant as PTSD. Mm-hmm. I maybe our listeners can guess how okay. we feel about this situation. So then he then I, I this quote from a student, a fifteen year old, mind you. It feels like presentations are often more great on delivery when some people can't help not being able to deliver it well, even if the content is the best presentation ever. He strongly agrees with the idea that teachers should offer alternative options for students. Teachers grade on public speaking, which people who have anxiety can't be great at. Um, okay, guess what? You, student, are putting a limitation on yourself by making that statement. They just said that they cannot be good at giving presentations if they have anxiety. Guess what? Yes, you can. Just because you have anxiety doesn't mean that you are unable to give an effective presentation. Do you need to sort of combat some fears? Figure out how you best operate? Yes, but so does everybody else. Okay, I'm not even going to get to my big thing yet. No, I, I mean, I agree. Uh, I'm going to go on to say. Go ahead. So they're talking about how being a high schooler now is more stressful than ever. Academic demands on students are high. Kids participate more extracurriculars than they have ever okay. in the past. They have adult, added extra hours of homework. So they don't get home till 7 because they have sports. And then it's... They have to be holed up in the room every night till 1 a.m. finishing homework on their third Red Bull. Okay. These stressors and more have led to an unprecedented level of anxiety in the Gen Z. Okay, so it's increasing at a faster rate than depression as the leading mental health mm-hmm. issue affecting teenagers. So, oh, and then they go on to say, throwing things like in-class presentations on top of other stressor stressors that kids are dealing with that... Teens are saying this is unbearable. Okay. So, why don't we look at the whole system as a whole and say, are we doing our kids justice by having them in, like, and I am not a kid, or I'm not a kid. Yeah. Well, you're not. I'm not. I'm not a parent, (laughs) and I'm not a teacher, so I I don't know. But, like, I I was a kid, and I do remember the stresses of school. Yeah. Now, it might be different now. But why don't we change that instead of saying, okay, let's just get rid of presentations because everything else is so stressful that all these people have anxiety. I, I think this is a bigger problem here. And not to mention, like, you can't go out into the world 
as an adult and not be expected at some point in your life, in your career, to stand up in front of people and actually give a presentation isn't or give how, a talk. Isn't that how you get a job? It's called an interview. It's the same thing. Aren't you protesting? Aren't you standing up in front of people and saying what you say, think? So Yeah, so wouldn't you want to... Start, for, first, okay. People nowadays think that the social, and I will say it's also bothersome to me that this has all happened because of social media, yeah. because kids tweeted shit and that has been like, that like exploded. There's like 150,000 retweets of some kids tweet. I, the thing is all of these Gen Zers, I think expect that you will be able to accomplish literally everything via electronic communications. And I, that's not the case. Yeah. When you, let's say you, you give a toast at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have an interview. I mentioned that before. Let's say you, um, you know, you're in charge of some fundraiser and you need to like rally the volunteers or something. That is all public speaking. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I feel very strongly that you have to learn, you have to learn how to do it. Listen, I'm a grown-up. I, I think I am. I mean, I definitely understand that there are some people, and I know that there are some people who, they still sound terrified. But guess what? That doesn't mean I'm going to listen to them any less. That doesn't mean that, you know, I understand, like, oh, shoot, like, they probably hate talking this much, so. Well, the thing is, you know, is that I still the, listen to the content. It's not going to not be a requirement. And just some people are better at, you know, there might be someone who's really good at, Math and they're going to score yeah. better because they're Thank just you. better at math. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, I will say that uh, there was a recent survey done by the Association of American Colleges and Universities, and they said oral communication was one of the most sought-after skills in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Over ninety percent of hiring managers think it's important. So that a lot of educators are also saying that this builds essential leadership skills and increases students' confidence and understanding of material. I wholeheartedly agree. So this tweet war that was going on, mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy because you have like these kids tweeting and then you have these adults tweeting back. Like one tweet was coming from somebody with severe anxiety. Having somebody force me to do a public presentation was the best idea to happen in my life. Because um, think about what you gain. You gain tools in order to overcome something that you were uncomfortable with in order to address and supp- I don't want to say suppress, but like in order to overcome that anxiety, because again, you never know what's going to hit you. It's also one of those things where it's, it sounds like the students are complaining because it's uncomfortable. And I will say that, you know, one of these things is if you have severely like legitimately diagnosed and documented anxiety, I think that's one thing. But if you're saying that you're just uncomfortable giving a presentation, you're not going to get any sympathy from me person because that is complete bullshit. I'm uncomfortable doing a lot of shit in my job and a lot of shit in my day, but like I fucking did it. You, you just, here's the thing. It, it teaches you skills on, yes. forget presentations, forget all that. It teaches you skills on how to overcome a barrier in life. Absolutely. How are you going to do that? And no offense to these 14 and 15 year olds, but you don't know what you need. That's mm-hmm. why you're in school. You, there's certain things you can demand. But there's other things where it's like, you just don't know what's good for you right now. You're not going to realize how important this is until you get to the point where you're like, oh shit, Do you know? I should have done this. Yes. Everyone's had to go through uncomfortable things in life to to get to a certain point. Anyone successful has had to do that. Yeah. I mean, 
So I think that, um, you know, one, one person, one man, it says, so not a student, but tweeted, uh, in response to this, that we need to stop preaching to get rid of public speaking and we need to start advocating or preaching for better mental health support mm-hmm. and more accessibility alternatives for students who are unable to complete presentations, classwork, et cetera, due to health reasons. I think I that, that that speaks to, you know what, anybody who has anxiety or something, they can still do this. Maybe they need to do it in a one-on-one thing with their teachers. Maybe they need to record it and then provide it to their teacher. I, I don't Maybe I don't know, just, but I'm thinking that's an alternative. They just need more coaching. They need more help. Mm-hmm. And they need someone to tell them that they can do it. If we, if we tell people, oh, I'm sorry. If we have, go along with you this. You have a disability or impairment and you, you can't, can't do, do this. They, we are going to have... You're doing yourself a disservice. Yes. And we are going to have just failures as adults and And the generation coming up is going to be a failure if we do that and as adults we have the responsibility Mm -hmm. to make sure that that doesn't happen so yes i'm not saying don't be sensitive to people's anxieties i'm saying help them through it let me ask you this question it literally just popped into my head okay would you, I gotta pour more wine for this. Go ahead. Could you argue? Okay, I'm just thinking about like what this has done, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, like the fact that it's students who are tweeting this. Yeah. Do you think that the ones tweeting this are the ones that claim they have anxiety issues? Yeah. So, I mean, they're not afraid to make it a public platform. That's what I was gonna say. I would have anxiety over like putting that out there and like people responding and freaking out about it. Well, I mean, there's the whole. I, I do think that maybe the student thought that like nothing would happen because everybody, all these kids feel like it's like this anonymity when really it's not. Because let's be honest, like they put everything about their lives like on social media at these at this point. But I, I I think that maybe they didn't believe that this would escalate. But then I'm sitting there thinking, like, okay, so, like, sure, the students have, like, tweeted this stuff and, like, made, like, comments and, like, boycotted and what have you. But do you, I mean, I also, I'm sorry, but I also feel like the only way that this gets traction is if parents then, like, there's pressure from parents for the school to go along with this. To go along with the tweeting or... To go along with the what the oh. kids are demanding. Yeah, well, that's that's this helicopter parent thing that we just need to get... I mean, come But on. then there's so much pressure, and then it's like they have to, you know, the community then has to vote on referendums and shit, and it's just like, I feel like it's like very cyclical, and it just like is snowballing, and I, I, I would love to speak to a teacher about this because I don't know like what... I mean, I, re- I remember I would sit in band class, and... I mean, I remember being, having, like, the pop-up quiz or whatever. Pop-up, like, a teacher would, like, be, ask a question. This happens in high school, in college, pop what quiz. have you. Not the pop quiz. But, like, where they just be like, Jamie, can you please tell me uh, about this? And I was like, oh, my God. Can I tell you how red my face got? Redder than this glass of wine. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But, like, again, in band, in band, I remember my band director would be like, everybody stop. And then he'd be like, you play. You play. You play. And he would go down the entire line of my section to see who could or could not play the part. Listen. Incredibly embarrassing. But guess what? We all fucking survived. We all did it. All of us had to do it. We all had to be put up there. All of us had anxieties. All of us had, you know, and okay. I'm just heavy Like you said, if someone has clinical anxiety, that's a different story. 
then they then we need resources and education to help support that. Yeah. However, if this is just some kids trying to get out of like they're just they just have anxiety over it. Yeah. You just need to help them talk it through. Talk it through, and the more you do, the less anxiety you're going to have, and they mm-hmm. don't understand that. So there was another tweet. Yeah. What because somebody said it can't be cured facing your fears. And so someone else tweeted back saying, just so you know, exposure therapy is, a commonly, is commonly used amongst psych- psychologists as a behavioral therapy to help treat anxiety disorders. So your point about it can't be cured facing your fears is just false. I mean, let's talk about spiders. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's, an, it's an excellent point because that is sort of, you need to, the thing is you need to practice being in these uncomfortable situations so that they might never become comfortable, but at least you have the tools and the resources available to know how to get through them. Because as you said, and I think, Sarah, I think the way that you described it is absolutely excellent because you said that these students just don't know what they're going to get thrown in life. You have no idea what job you're going to have, like blah, blah, blah. Do you think I knew anything at 14? What was life was going to hit me with? How to have... You, you, it's a toolbox, right? When you're in high school, you're creating your toolbox, okay? And these are you all... You sound like a teacher right now. I'm pretty sure I've had, like, this speech and, like, talking about a toolbox. <laughs> well, it's true. You have all these skills that you're, you're you know, yeah. building up, okay? Yeah. And you have to learn to overcome. You're going to be, you're going to have anxieties. You're going to have doubts. And you're going to have self, like, De- you're going to doubt your confidence at times in life. Like yeah. that's, and you're going to be throwing things at you in work in personal life. Completely where, unexpected. Yeah. And you got to learn how to overcome that because sorry, 14 year olds news flash. Hopefully you're life. not listening because you're not old enough to drink. Yes, exactly. Regardless. I was going to say parents, this is a 21 and up show. Okay. But parents <laughs> of 14 year olds, maybe this is something you want to drive home to your kids, but like life is not going to be easy. I'm going to quote, yeah, not going to be comfortable because it's just not, no one ever is like, oh, life is so great and easy and comfortable. I mean, to, to mention something that you taught me, a phrase that you taught me, we're just creating a bunch of snowflakes here. Yeah. Like they're so delicate. They can't handle anything and they're just being coddled like throughout life. And it's like, you know what? Life is actually, I'm sure some people have a really easy time in life. I don't and then think there are other people. Them. No, but then there are other people who are dealt the shittiest of shitty hands, and then there's everybody else who's somewhere in between. Exactly. And so you have good ta- good times, and then you have bad times. But like somehow you gotta like you gotta figure out like how to get through it all because in, not everything in life is gonna come super easily, and not everything in life is just gonna be un- insurmountable. Like there are ways to overcome these things and there are ways to kind of push through and come to the other side. You know, it's like anytime you like run up a hill, there's a downhill after that. Oh yeah. And the, the whole point is learning how to get up that hill in the best way possible. That's going to work for you. Exactly. And so people, parents, teachers, family members, friends need to help support kids and give them the tools to overcome these fears and these anxieties. And instead of us just being like, oh, if you think it's too hard, fine. You know no what? Problem. It's okay. We'll do it. We'll do it. You know what? It's like me being like, you know, I don't know. That math test you gave me, I really <laughs> am just really uncomfortable with it. And it gave me really bad anxiety. I, I, I don't think you should. Yeah. 
Can you give me another option? Did, did I have a question for you. Did you have to take speech class in high school? I did not. Oh, we did. For some reason, I don't know if that was an Illinois thing. It was a required part of the curriculum hmm. in high school. Okay, so right now, these students are protesting giving in-class presentations because they have this anxiety, and it just doesn't work for them, and it's not, it's not comfortable. So what if I, back in high school, were to walk into my science class and be like, I don't want to take science anymore because I'm not good at it, and because it doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't think I'm ever going to use it in my life. Do you and, think that? Do you gives, think the school would be like, no. yeah, you know what, we're going to cut that? You know what made me gave me anxiety and made me uncomfortable was gym class. Oh, really? I hated it. This I hated is, having to change. Surprises. Oh, yes, I agree. I hated with that. having to change in the locker rooms. Like I was in, I I didn't like changing in front of other girls. Mm-hmm. I was really self conscious. You know that made me nervous. That gave me every time we had gym class, it gave me anxiety. Changing my clothes in front of other girls. And then, like, going out there and playing whatever because I just was, like, I'm not, like, I'm an athletic person and I'm into fitness, but I'm not into competitive sports. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't my thing to do competitive sports. But you have to take gym class. Yeah, take gym class. Yep. And guess what? Dodgeball or whatever, like. (laughs) And, you know, I was in the, I was on the basketball team and I sucked. But I, like. But you did it. Made myself. I got hit Do in the it. face with yeah. a wiffle ball one time. It's fine. But Things it's like, happen. it's not like it was like, oh, you know what? I really have anxiety changing in front of everyone. So like, I just can't go to gym class. It's stupid. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't really mean to discredit these kids' feelings because obviously like people should feel okay with voicing their, their feelings and, and, you know, opinions about things. But I have a very, I, there's this one. <laughs> This one article, I think they have, like, a show on a radio station. It's called Chicks on the Right. Okay. Uh, The way that they phrase it is just so perfect, I feel. Okay. It says, it's official. We've gone full bubble wrap. Yeah. I feel like this is, like, Star Wars or something. Like, we've gone, like, full speed ahead or lightning speed or if you watch Spaceballs, we've gone to ludicrous speed. I mean, that, I think, is where we are because there's, I feel like there's not enough, there's not pushback. No, and that's what I'm saying. It's not the kids' feelings that are wrong. Like, the kids are feeling anxiety, and, like, but that's that, a valid that must, feeling. That must mean that they feel like they don't have the resources to help them over to exactly. help them get through it. Like, why aren't we providing resources to help them get through it and say, no, these are things you need to do instead of being like, okay, okay. well. And not to mention, Let's like, find you an hour. what 14-year-old kid is staying up till 1 a.m. drinking three Red Bulls? If that's happening, we have some serious problems. I'm hoping problems. That, that relates more to, like, junior seniors. Even but so. But at the same... I, I completely that's agree. That's a college thing. I'm like, why... But why is it even that? I pulled because two all-nighters in, college, in my entire college career. That's it. But two in all-nighters. college, you're an adult. You make those decisions for yourself. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Right, because then who's providing them with that Red Bull? In college, you're off, you're over 18, you're an adult. Well, I mean, I was 17 when I went to college, but still, most people are 18 and over. They're, they're adults. They're making their own decisions. They're kind of letting loose. Yeah. They physically can handle that probably and more. A 14-year-old drinking three Red Bulls. And you know what? You know what that means to me? I mean, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb. And again, like you said, we're not kids. We're not current, like, you know middle high school students we're not parents but I you know I sit there and I think that if these kids feel that pressure to stay up till 1 a.m 
and chug Red Bulls. And I mean, the rest of their, the rest of their life suffers when they put themselves in those situations. Sleep is important to them. They're growing, they're growing human beings. And the thing is that perhaps there is more pressure put on them by their parents than need to be. Well, I, perhaps there's more pressure put on. I remember, you know, I wanted to take some AP classes and I guess, thankfully, not thankfully, I don't know. Our school only offered certain ones. But, like, I was also told that if I could not keep up my grades, then I could not participate in any of my extracurricular activities. I couldn't have a job. I couldn't participate in the Palm Squad or whatever. I couldn't be in band. Like, I had all of these things that I was told that if you cannot keep up your grades, and I guarantee my parents would never let me stay up all night. And I think that there needs to be, you know, I feel like there are movies about this too, like all the pressure put on these students, but it's like, you know what? Students need to understand that there's a time and a place for that pressure. And then at some point it can become too much. And I, I do agree with that. And there, there needs to be a limit, but they need to be given, as we just said, these students have come to feel then somehow that they just don't have the resources or, um, I guess the instruction for how to get over these these hurdles. Yeah. So. No, I agree. It needs to be a change in the system, but I also agree with that one tweeter who had said, "Maybe this is this is not an out like a cry for like you know changing the curriculum in schools, but rather addressing the actual mental health problem." Well, that and like and if figuring you, if, that out. If we have, listen, I hear my friends that have kids and their amount of extracurricular activities they do, and it's hit. It's it's a new high. Yeah. Why are these things that we are not like it is it is almost jail to parents because they their whole life is basically revolves around these kids and driving them and all yep, that. Yeah. And if it's if kids are suffering like you said in other areas, we need to go back to like, okay, let's focus on A, B, and C. A to Z. <laughs> A to Z. A to Z. Let's focus on the elemental things. And then you add extracurriculars. Like, you shouldn't right. be able to participate in those if you can't Cause the Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is, like, what's the benefit? Okay, I, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to take myself back to, like, when we applied for colleges. And it's like, okay, I took the ACT a few times. I took the SAT. Yeah. Because one of the schools I wanted to apply to required it. I remember, yes, I wanted to do, like, community service things and be a part of these activities. Again, my parents always told me that if my grades dropped, I could not participate. I would have to drop Mm -hmm. something extra because what mattered most at that time was just the academic. It's a, it's about the GPA. I'm sorry. It, it, It really is. But here's the thing. If these students are struggling with that alone, maybe, maybe we start to take away the pressure in order to like to participate in these extra items. Yeah. You know, do they need to be part of the debate team? Well, Okay, maybe that's a bad example given our topic. Because <laughs> debating is very anxiety producing, I would think. But you know, maybe you're maybe you're in mathletes. I was in mathletes. You know, but it's, like it takes its hours out of you, you know, after school and you can't do your other homework. So what does that then mean for you and what how do you overcome that if you're struggling in your other subjects? I hey, I really want to talk to a teacher. About this? About this. Yeah. Because I, I'm i curious if they are feeling pressure I from the be, top down or from the bottom up, if you will. I'm. They're probably feeling pressure from parents. Because parents I think so. just don't 
Well, and especially if they're parents who are like pretty uninvolved and you're just like, yeah, 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 whatever. If I their students start the to like talk that are coddling their kids. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I think that's what it is. Oh, I think it's the yes. coddlers, and there's a lot of those out there now. And then they're like, oh my God, how dare you have my child have a little bit of anxiety? Like, do you know that she was sad because of that? And it's like, okay, <laughs> for God's sakes, like, just like maybe we need to focus on why don't you be a parent and talk to them and figure it out. And give yeah. them the tools and coach them you through it. You know what? It. Why don't you as a parent say, honey, give me your speech. Practice your speech with me. Uh, or or like just in front of your, I don't know. There's all these ways. Listen, I hated taking standardized tests. They gave me anxiety. Should uh, I like petition to colleges to not make ACTs a uh, requirement because it wasn't reflective of my actual Education. Oh yeah, I have a I have a roommate so fucking smart. A roommate from college, so 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 smart. I, she had to take the MCAT several times, and it was just because like she's she her taking those standardized tests were not they weren't um, they're not reflective. Of, they're not, and no. she struggled with them. That was not her forte. Oh, that's me too. what I was trying to say. Me too. I was I was like freaking out, and then I would like sit there and I'd go blank. Yeah. Because I'd be so nervous. I'd have so much anxiety about it. I would just be like, ah. I used to psych myself out. I mean, you know, but that's the thing is like everybody has to go through the same thing because in life you're not going to be handed these like ins and outs like for all these different people. You're not going to be handed all these alternatives all the time. You're going to need to make do with what is presented in front of you. I don't mean to use presented in that way. But (laughs) I'm trying to say, you know, it's like you, you... Somehow, we need to give our younger generations the tools and resources that they'll require in order to, you know, jump through these hurdles or, you know, kind of find their own challenge and, like, get through these, like, really what they consider to be, you know, uncomfortable situations. Yes, absolutely. Because you're not going to walk into a job one day and say, I'm sorry, boss, but um, this this task you've, you've given me... <laughs> I have anxiety. I'm uncomfortable with it. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to bow out. Do you mind? Do you mind taking it? Do you mind? Yeah. Yeah. You'll take it. But can I get that promotion uh, in January? Do you think I'm still going to? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that you should make uh, accommodations for me and still give me that promotion, even though I'm not like doing the requirements of my job. Yeah. And and make sure, make sure, please just write that all in black ink. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. No no red ink because Mm -hmm. that also produces anxiety for me. (laughs) But green is a soothing color. <laughs> Anyways, so that's my thoughts. Yeah, I this mean, was I. I'm. I have to be honest, Sarah. When you mentioned this to me, I I had not heard about this, mm. and I I could not believe. I cu- I honestly could not believe that this was becoming a thing because I think that it is. It's leading to a lot of potential exploitation in soft spots in teachers. I mean, I, my, I, I did it one time because I didn't read a book. It's fine. Shh, don't tell <laughs> But I think that it leads to a lot of exploitation in soft spots in teachers. I think that, you know, if it's just going to be like, a, oh, I have anxiety versus, you know, a diagnosable disorder, I think that, there, I think that there are significant issues that can, that can come up. And I think that we're doing a disservice and we're not fully preparing our youth for what they're going to need to 
to encounter yeah. <laughs> in the future, whether that be in the near future or in the long-term future. All of it. Because and you know what? We're putting teachers in. Teachers are actually in a really poor position. They, they are have, because getting who are pressured. they listening to? They're getting pressured from everybody, from students, from parents, from from, from principals, from government. Yeah. I mean, like they really have a hard job. Because their job is to prepare, to teach and to prepare these students for the future. And if they're not allowed to do their jobs, I mean, what are we really doing? So we're just, like, forcing your kids to go somewhere, hang out, just hang out for, like, eight hours a day? I, I'm going to say two more comments, and then I... I, I and then we're done. I, I okay. can't talk That's anymore because it's just going to make me angry. Okay, my first comment is one that this is a first world, first world problem, mm. that there is no one else in any other country that's not like the United States that's, that's having this discussion right now because they have bigger issues to worry about. Yeah, bigger fish to fry, man. Bigger fish to fry. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, someone, we have to think about how much benefit, benefits that we have in this country and how we are just basically saying, okay, well. We're tweeting about our school that was my So my, my number two thing <laughs> is that we, our youth is too reliant on social media and is hiding behind it. And now that has become a voice for them not in a good way because it's not, you can't be so reliant on it that it, it, this wouldn't be a thing if social media wasn't out there, right? Right. What are kids going to do? Put their signs up? They're not going to do that, right? So like, what is this becoming where we are, we're hiding behind social media yeah. and, and you have an adult tweeting a 14 year old? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, what, what kind of world are we living in? I mean, I sit there and I think about, like, what, what conversation can you actually have, like, from, like, adults to, like, some 14-year-old who's, who's tweeting this. Like, you can't, you can't argue because the mind they're, is not necessarily... Exactly. They're not. In, they're 14. Right. But people don't realize that, and then it becomes, like, a nasty argument, and it's like, this is a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. You know, like, we don't... We're hiding behind screens. And the reason that they have so much anxiety and can't actually talk to someone or talk to people... Is because we're hiding behind screens. It's because we're hiding behind screens. You're so right. It's a very vicious cycle. But at the same time, that does not mean that because these screens are present, that we cannot still interact. There is something to be said about um, empathizing with your audience. You you sort of need to get that. That's what I'm saying. in high school, you're not going to really, you're probably not going to understand like how to kind of like shift gears and like start to say something that you didn't, you know, plan on and practice like 60 times. I don't mean I ever practice anything 60 times, but I'm saying like, you know, as you get older, you learn how to adapt a little bit more. And so when you have these like planned presentations or what have you, you sort of start to, you know, judge like what you're saying and how receptive the audience is. And learn, like, ooh, this person is, like, definitely, like, playing, like, Wars with Friends on their phone. I got to say something a little bit more exciting. So let me see if I can twist this next part a little bit. You know, throw in a joke or something. We, Sarah, you were just saying, like, should we do, like, an improv class? And, like, I think that'd be shit ton fun. But, like, these students need to, again, that's something that could equip students to figure out how to do things in a different way. You gotta. Teach you just them. have to. You have to teach them, and you have to help them find solutions to overcome these Anxieties. these obstacles and yep. these anxieties. Yeah. 
But I think that your two points were very well stated. And I Thank you. wholeheartedly agree with them. I, I definitely do. Hashtag first so. world problems. Hashtag. Hashtag hiding behind the screen. Hiding behind screens. Hashtag DBP. <laughs> Hashtag DBP cheers. Hashtag DBP cheers. Hashtag drink up bitches. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers Cheers from from the the girls of DBP. DBP.